Hey, good evening everyone. Welcome to our live broadcast, Evening Dhamma. Today we're looking at the third noble truth, the cessation of suffering. As a general concept, of course, the, the cessation of suffering is what we all desire, right? You may not have even thought about it, but it sounds good. It sounds about right. Yes, that's why I came to learn about Buddhism. That's why I'm interested in spirituality is whatever way some whatever way things are wrong i want to free myself from that i want to right the wrong escape the pain the stress the suffering so this is the goal in a general sense it's what we all desire It's really the most important, and framing it negative like negatively like this is, I think, I think really important. I mean, some people try to talk about Buddhism as uh, I try to say, well, you know, it can go either way. Buddhism is also the way to find true happiness, but framing it as freedom from suffering is important because once the suffering is gone, it, you don't have to speak about happiness. Once the suffering is gone, all that all that's left is happiness. On the other hand, if you speak about happiness, it's it's problematic because the feeling happy um, happy feelings are not not permanent. They're not constant. It's not possible to have a happy feeling all the time. When you talk about it as the cessation of suffering, it makes more sense. And then you're left with times where you're not happy, but you're never left with times where you're unhappy. Now, it's fine to be not happy sometimes, right? We don't have to be. No one, no one, I think, really strives to be happy all the time. We just, it would be enough if we weren't unhappy anytime. Right? Sometimes you're just content, peaceful. So I think it's easier to understand. I think you get the wrong idea if you think of uh, finding permanent happiness. Even though it's phrased in that way, and it can be phrased. It's just a question of what you mean by happiness. But the Buddha talked about the cessation of suffering. And so that's what we teach, that's what we look for, that's what we strive for. But I say in a general sense, because when it gets to the specifics and the actual definition of what it means, it gets a little bit scary. The first thing to understand about the cessation of suffering, let's go right to what it's um, what, the, what the kicha is, what the duty is, the thing to be done. 
What's to be done in regards to the cessation of suffering is to see it for yourself, sachi karana, to make it clear to yourself. So it's not about believing, obviously. It's not even really about striving for. We already know what our striving is. Our striving is to understand. When you understand suffering, so the, the cause of suffering is removed and there, there comes about the cessation of suffering. So the Buddha described the third noble truth as with the uh, with the complete cessation and disenchantment Asesaviraganiroda the the cessation without remainder. Dispassionate cessation without remainder. Without any remainder of craving, of that of that craving that we talked about yesterday. There is the cessation of suffering. But when we talk about the specifics of it, what we mean is not simply, I mean, that's in a general sense, that's, that's the theory. If we stopped clinging to things, well, there'd be less disappointment. Craving and disappointment go hand in hand, as we talked about last night. You, you want and the wanting increases until you don't get it. And then there's a period of disappointment that sort of stabilizes the wanting. And then when the disappointment ends, you strive for it again. Go, 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 go. Crash. And, and again and again we crash like this. And we strive throughout our lives, successfully, unsuccessfully, to... Uh, to, to avoid the crashes and so our craving builds and builds unless we find ways to temper it you know there are people who find ways to you know to be kind and to, to they start to realize higher things and they start to give up craving you know another thing is experience without even practicing Buddhism Simply through experiencing this truth that yeah, craving builds and builds and builds. It's not just Buddhists, but old people as they get older, in many cases, moderate and even reduce their craving. Why? Because they've seen that it causes suffering. But that's not actually the goal in Buddhism. It's not just to be, oh well, now I'm living my life without suffering. The cessation of suffering is Nibbana. the complete cessation of dukkha and so here we get into we have to get a technical and we have to be a little more specific about what we mean by dukkha I said it's not always meant to mean suffering but uh, I think in an ultimate analysis what you have to say about 
about sankhara, about our experiences, it's not only that they're not satisfying, but that they are uh, they are inferior. No, it's not a good word. They are they are unpeaceful. Is the right word? Stressful, even. They are stress. A risen experience is inferior. The Buddha's used that sort of terminology uh, to to the cessation, to the to the non-arising. Non-arising is better than arising. This is where it starts to get scary because this is the sort of thing that. Uh, it's hard to understand, hard to appreciate, hard to swallow. The idea that nibbana is the unarising, it's unarisen. So, with the cessation of all that arises, or with the cessation of craving, how it works is our mind keeps is constantly seeking out experience and so our experience is fueled by uh, by this craving it's it's propelled on by this craving and if we're able to do away with it we're able to create these pockets do away with if we're able to moderate and to do away with temporarily this craving and we're able to create a pocket of non-arising. That's why I said um, it's important to look at the the kicca, the 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 task at hand, because you have to experience it for yourself to appreciate nibbana. It's not something you can think about. It, our whole being revolts against it because we're our whole being is is built around craving. And so it's a matter of seeing it for yourself. I mean, it's a great thing about the Buddha's teaching in general is that you can disagree with it all you want, but it's true. And anything that's true stands up to the test of investigation. All of the Four Noble Truths, they're hard to stomach, they're hard to understand, they're hard to appreciate, but they're true. And they're not, they don't sound like anything we've ever heard, they don't sound intuitively right. Of course they don't, because our whole being, even our intuition, is based around craving. It's built around it. We're born because of craving. Our whole paradigm of looking at the world is craving. It's how we look. What do you like? What do you dislike? That's what it's all about for us. When you begin to look at things as they actually are, instead of how you want them to be or don't want them to be, all of these truths become evident 
until eventually the third truth becomes evident and you see the you experience the cessation of sankara you know because all arisen phenomena are dukkha they're not just unsatisfying and they're not just crave they're not just suffering when you cling to them they're suffering when they arise so the question then is does that mean an arahant suffers? And so this is the thing, is how, how do you translate this? An arahant, one way of saying it is an arahant, of course, doesn't suffer. It's called saupadisesa uh, nibbana. There's still, there's still remaining sankhara, but there's no craving for them. And so one doesn't cling to them. So that is nibbana. That is a way of looking at it. But the experience of Nibbāna, Anupādi says a Nibbāna, is when all sankharas cease, Nirodha. So, so technically, in another way, you could say an Arahant does suffer. They suffer not mentally, but they suffer in the sense of having to put up with, with that which is stressful. Yeah, that which is unpeaceful And because an arahant knows these things are unpeaceful It doesn't see any use for them Or benefit to them Why an arahant is not reborn Is because an arahant sees That all arisen phenomena are worthless If you want you can think of it as a graduation So most of us will be around here for a long time because we have much more to learn. Nibbana is not something you have to accept on faith, believe in, aspire to. But once you understand reality, this is the claim. Once you understand reality, that's the the that's where the mind inclines. It's like the the final, the goal. It's actually a real goal. I mean, that's really the neat thing, uh, or the, the distinction in Buddhism, is that any other goal isn't really a goal. Um, no goal that we could strive for can truly be seen as a goal. Upon investigation, it, it's clear that there's still something more. Once you attain that goal, you just move on, right? So the idea of a goal seems actually non-existent. And in a sense, the goal is non-existent. It exists, but it's non-existent in the sense of non-arising. And it depends how you define existence. If you define it by that which arises, then Nibbāna is non-existent. But it exists in the, in the ultimate sense as something that is real. It is real. It's real non-arising So, not too much to say about this I think that's enough I've said quite a bit already Probably more than most people would But uh, that's a little bit of information And, and trying to understand Nibbana And a, a caution not to focus too much on it As something to obsess over or worry about Gee, do I really want to experience it? Do I really want that as my goal? Of course we do, we all do We want to be free from suffering And if that's enough If, if, if that's true, then that's enough
question of what that means it's not something you should worry about because you'll only realize it when you really want to when you're really ready for it when it's really clear to you that this is happiness this is peace etang santang etang panitang this is peaceful this is subtle refined so there's the Dhamma for tonight. Thank you all for tuning in. And now go to the questions section. We have two questions tonight. My question is on the second noble truth. If craving or wanting causes suffering, then how could we achieve anything in life? A strong desire is required to receive, or receive anything. Either you want to attain nirvana or to become rich or anything. Please throw some more light on it. Well, a person who wants to attain Nibbana still has craving, right? A person who wants to meditate still has craving. But when you meditate, the craving goes away. When the craving is gone, you won't achieve anything. In some cases, you just wouldn't eat. There are cases of arahants who just let their bodies perish. It's not common, but it has happened. So you're looking at it the wrong way. It's not like we say, okay, from this day forth I'm not going to want anything. We say, okay, I'm going to try because I want to be free from wanting. And as you do that, you start to it starts to unravel. You slowly stop wanting anything. Because meditation isn't wanting. You don't sit there and want to be enlightened. It's not sitting there, when am I going to become enlightened? That does nothing for you. But suppose you want to meditate. Well, then you go and meditate. And when you meditate, there's no wanting, or there's the gradual free realization that wanting is the cause of suffering. Once you realize that, the wanting goes away. I mean, this is a, a question people ask a lot, and it's really intellectual. It, it, it isn't at all how it works in practice. Not to shoot you down or anything, it's a common question. It's just, I don't think that's a question you have to worry about because it's intellectual and it's not really how it goes down. The difference between the detachment of an arahant to that of a person who is in a state of numbness caused by depression or other traumatic experience can't be engaged and is desperate. Therefore, giving up, give up clinging to anything joyful or other. Well, they cling to that state. They cling to their depression. They wish to be free from it. They cling to the fear. They cling to all sorts of things. They cling to disliking. State of numbness. I mean, there are many states that are concentrated and focused, but there's it's not really numb. If such a person were to begin to be mindful, there would be a lot of things come up. It's it's completely different. An arahant has looked through themselves and is, has no attachment, has no... Well, has has understanding. They understand themselves thoroughly. It's not that they don't have any attachment. It's that they're unable to give rise to attachment. That person that you're talking about, if they were to begin to be mindful, they'd see a ton of attachment come out. They've just they tend to we tend to find ways to get in a rut. It's not happiness, but it's bearable, and it's pretty awful, really. Once you become mindful of it, you see how stressful and, and unpleasant it was. I mean, I think mindfulness will 
answer that question a person mindfulness will shed light on what the difference is that that person oh that person is full of defilements most likely okay well, that's all for tonight thank you all for tuning in have a good night <laughs>